Hey, good morning. Good to see all of you. Have you said good morning to the folks around you? Why don't you go ahead and do that right now? Go ahead and do that in the chapel as well. If you're watching us online, good to see you. If you're here as a guest for the very first time today on behalf of the family, we want to welcome you, whether you're in the worship center, the chapel, or online. To all of our online guests, uh, if you'll go to pleasantvalley.org slash connect, fill out the communication card, it'll be our way of being in contact with you. If you have a question, just type it in the chat box there, if you're on Facebook, if you're on uh, YouTube. If you're here in the worship center or in the chapel, um, we've got folks at, uh, in both locations that'd be glad to answer any questions that you might have. Maybe you're investigating the faith and you have questions about what does it really mean to be a Christian? Or maybe you are a follower of Jesus but have found yourself in some difficulties and you just need some prayer. Maybe you're looking for a church home and you go, I've got some questions about Pleasant Valley. Here in the worship center, come to the very back of the worship center, right by the center door. There'll be some friends that are there in the chapel. Talk to Pastor John, one of the pastors that is there. A couple of things before we go any further. Next week... We are going to change our 11 o'clock worship time. Now, I know that doesn't affect you because you were here at 9 o'clock, but sometimes you go to the other service, yes? Okay, very good. Thank you. I'll just continue talking to somebody who actually cares. And so we're changing our service time at 11 to 10.45. So 9 o'clock service, 10.45 service. We're not changing it because of the chiefs, although some of you are glad about that. We are changing it because we want to beat the Methodists to lunch, and so that will be happening next week, 9 and 1045. So Bible study, children's student ministries will be at 1045 as well. And then today is a big day for us. This is our backyard blast, and although you didn't see the uh, blow-ups and all of those things, or the petting zoo, or the food trucks uh, out there this morning, they are going to be out there immediately following the 11 o'clock service. So I encourage you to come and just participate uh, with that. Come with your grandchildren, come with your children. It's for all ages, and it's really just a time to get together and connect with one another. We're going to block off part of the Northing parking lot, and so there'll be plenty of space to connect. I want to just say a a big word of thanks, and although I said this in kind of a combination of some other staff transitions, another big uh, round of applause for Brian Nelson, who has served us so well in the creative arts ministry, uh, helped us with Liberty Light Show, organized us in a way that we've never been organized before, really developed a culture of leadership development. He stepped off of our uh, staff, is still a part of our church, is venturing into the software industry. So would you join me everywhere in just giving a big round of appreciation for Brian? So whenever you see him, just uh, tell him how much you love him and tell him that you're so glad that he and Lisa and the kids are still part of the church. And one other thing, uh, I don't see him in here, but our Wes Payne, who is our pastor of Next Gen, Next Gen, which covers everything from 
preschool, nursery, all the way up through high school, finally made his way down from the Chicagoland area. You'll see him around today serving in all the things that are happening. And so uh, when all of the families here, we're going to have an opportunity to introduce them and give them a great big reception. But that is a big praise. And so let's celebrate him being here. Okay, if you're with us for the first time, I am being redundant with the folks who have been here for the past couple of weeks. I've said that I'm going to ask two questions every single week during a sermon series that we're calling four. And the question is this, number one, what, what do you want to be known for? When you think about your life, what is it that you want people to know you for in terms of your character, in terms of what you do? And then the second question is, what are you currently known for? How would people describe you? What would they say are the chief characteristics about your life and about mine? And would any of them point to the fact that we are living conspicuously for Jesus Christ? We've said these two questions are important, not just for us individually, but for us as a church. In the series called Four, we're looking at what is Pleasant Valley known for? There's certainly a lot of things in the world that Christians have indicated that we are against, but what if we elevated what we are for? And just talked about that. And so we've said over this series, we're looking at five vision priorities that Pleasant Valley is pursuing over the next five years. And we said it isn't just the church corporate, but it is us as individuals who are part of the church that this makes sense for and makes a difference for. And so let's go back. Let's do a little homework. We said our mission as a church is that we exist to unleash the transforming influence of Jesus so that people, that means you and others, will know, love, serve, and share Jesus. And we said where this mission is going to be lived out is our mission field. And we said it starts with us as a church. We need to be continually transformed. We need to grow in loving and and knowing and loving and serving and sharing Jesus. But we want to impact the Northland that continues to, to grow. And we want to have influence beyond the Northland in our state, in our nation, and around the world. And so today we're going to talk about the third vision priority, and here it is. Our vision priority is that we envision PV being known as the church for your family. And so what I'm going to do today, a little bit different than what I've done in the past, I'm going to talk to you about some of the ways that we hope to pursue this. And then I'm going to ask this question, why should you care? Why, why is this even something for us to spend our time on? And so some of the ways that we're going to go about doing this is we're going to make sure and offer annual marriage or family conferences to make sure that we bring in world-class teachers to help strengthen everything that has to do with marriage and family. Another thing that we're going to do is this. We're going to increase the number of unchurched people participating in Reengage. Reengage is a robust marriage ministry that we have for individuals, whether they are struggling or whether they are flourishing. And we want to see the number of folks who aren't part of the church, number of folks that aren't even followers of Jesus, who are invited to experience this life-changing marriage, family 
transformative gospel-centered ministry. Another one is this. We want to empower next-gen ministry as the tip of the spear for our ministry to families. Why is that a big deal? Because oftentimes in the church, you think that all that we are doing in the nursery is changing diapers, or that we are simply just babysitting kids in the children's ministry, or offering a class, or they're doing crafts, or offering events, or fun things for your students. And while we do all of those, it isn't just ministry to those kids, it's a ministry to the family. And we're saying our next-gen ministry is going to lead the way in not just ministering to the kids, but ministering to the families. We already do that, but we're going to empower them to do even more. Another one is this. We want to leverage KCLC, which is our weekday preschool ministry, as a greater point of entry into the life of the church. 60% of the children and the families that participate in KCLC are not connected to our church. And we want to say, hey, listen, how can we reach them for Christ and encourage them to move beyond just the daycare into the life of the congregation. And so we want to leverage that. Another priority is this. We're going to launch a fully functioning counseling ministry that is the number one place in the Northland that families turn to for Christ-centered care. If there's one thing that we are aware of is that families struggle with all kinds of relational dynamics as well as mental health concerns. And we've said... Let's make Pleasant Valley a place where people can come and get that kind of care. So we already have a space where we have six rooms available. We're in the process of building this thing out. And all of that is for the purpose of ministering to families. One other thing, let me say this. The work that is going on downstairs that in the days ahead, you're going to get an opportunity to walk through our renovation of the preschool area, making it safe, and the renovation of a space that people, families can gather uh, before and after services and during the week. It's all because we're committed to ministry to the family, and we simply want to be known as a church for that. Now, let me give a disclaimer. Uh, what I'm going to be talking about today, I can't talk about everything there is to say about family. For instance, I'm not going to focus in on singlehood and singleness, although Jesus and Paul the Apostle certainly through their lives have elevated the value and the place for being a single adult in the life of the church and in uh, the world that we live in. I'm not going to talk about uh, divorce and other things like that. I'm going to simply look at the family from its ideal that God has established in the scripture. So the vision priority is we envision Pleasant Valley being known for your family. And so the question is, why should you even care about this? And let me give you two reasons why you should care. Number one is a cultural reason. The other is a spiritual reason. Culturally, the family continues to be under attack. 
If you're not aware of this at all, Western civilization has been confronted with the need to define the meaning of marriage and family. Never before have we found ourselves in such a place where we have to go, this is what marriage means, this is what the family is all about. Up until recently, what was considered the normal family, made up of a a father and a mother and children, has been increasingly has been increasingly viewed as one among several options. And the option of a mother and a father and a child, for some people, isn't even viewed as the superior form of ordering human relationships. The Judeo-Christian view of marriage and family that has its roots in the Hebrew scriptures has to a significant extent been replaced with a set of values that prizes human rights, self-fulfillment, and pragmatic utility of an individual or a society over against what has traditionally been known as the family. It can be said, and I think rightly so, that marriage and the family are institutions that are under continual attack in the world today, and that attack is not just on individual families and marriages. And I don't think this would be an overstatement. It's attack on civilization itself. The crisis that we face is not cultural. It is spiritual. And the attack against the family has always been spiritual. Go all the way back to the first couple Adam and Eve living in unity with one another, experiencing all that God had to offer them. And there was a spiritual attack that came against them that basically said, you can't trust God. And ever since then, the attacks from the enemy have been ongoing and ongoing. And so our crisis is spiritual. Therefore, the answer must be spiritual. So the reason that this is important is not just for a cultural reason, but it's important because of a biblical reason. And here's the point I want to convey and then give some supporting reasons behind it. We are for your family because God is for the family. At this point in time, I could get some agreement from you, couldn't I? We are for your family because God is for the family. I'm for the family. Our church is for the family, but most importantly, God is for the family. And let me get really specific. God is for your family, your family individually. You don't have to do whatever it is that you were doing in family life by yourself. God is on your side. There are three truths I want us to grab a hold of that basically come from the first book of the Bible that relate to this reason why we are for your family. We're for your family because God is for the family. He's the one that instituted it. God instituted the family. Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. It says, let us make man, humanity, in our image according to our likeness. 
They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man, humanity, in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Now, there has always been some debate about the origin of the family. And sometimes it happens in, in local families. There was, a, there was a child that had heard some conflicting things about where families come from, and so he asked his mom, Mom, where, where, did, where did I come from? Where, where do humans come from? Where does the family come from? And he said, she said, well, sweetheart, it's really simple. The Bible says that God created Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve multiplied. They had babies, and their babies had babies, and all the way up to your mom and daddy had you. And so he goes, oh, okay. But, you know, like children do, he wanted to go check this out and verify whether mom and dad were on the same page. So he goes and he talks to his dad, and he says, Dad, where did I come from? Where did babies come from? Where did we originate from? And he said, well, well son, it's really pretty simple. Um, we evolved from apes. And so he's a bit confused, so he goes back to his mom and says, Mom, you're a liar. You said that, that Adam and Eve had babies. God created Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve had babies, and on up, and, and that we, we, came from, we came from Adam and Eve. God created us, but Dad said that, that we came from apes. And she goes, sweetheart, that's real simple. Daddy was talking about his side of the family. I've been waiting all week to tell you that. <laughs> the Bible says that we were deliberately created by God. We're not the products of some galactic accident, nor are we occupants on the top rung of some kind of evolutionary ladder. God made us in his image. We are wholly dependent on him. And according to the scriptures that we just read, the creation of humanity is seen as some it seems a very special occasion for which there was some kind of consultation that went on. Do you remember hearing at the very first, it said, let us make man in our image. And I love how Warren Wiersbe put it. He said, it sounds like the conclusion of a divine deliberation among the persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit deliberating together, saying, let's create humanity. Let's create mankind in our image. And so we were deliberately created by God. We were deliberately created by God as male and female. Now, what's interesting is if you read Genesis chapter 1, prior to this text that we looked at, Genesis is recording that God created the other species. And it said that he created them after their kind, but he did not say in this particular text that there were two distinct complementary sexes. Now, obviously, there are in the animal species, but in the creation account, 
just with human beings, there is this great specification that God has made two distinct yet complementary sexes, male and female. God deliberately created us. He deliberately created us as male and female. We were deliberately created by God as male and female to become family. To become family. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 25. It says, The Lord God took the man, this would be Adam, and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. And all the men said, I I was expecting something very rousing there. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. Then the Lord God formed out of the ground the very every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man and and he slept. And God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both man and his, the man and his wife were naked, yet they felt no Shame. We were deliberately created by God as male and female to become family. God made the woman for the man as his partner in life. Both genders, male and female, reflect the image of God. Now, let me do an aside for just a minute here. God made female as a helper. This doesn't mean that females are inferior to men. And all the men said... That is absolutely true. And it doesn't mean that females were created by God to be the assistant of man, to do the stuff that he doesn't want to do. If you want a beautiful picture of this, God is called a helper in another passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, Psalm 33:20. it's, a term God used for himself. And so to be called a helper is not demoralizing, it's very dignifying. So here's the basic. Without female companionship and a partner in reproduction, Adam could never have realized his full humanity. God created male and God created female. They are corresponding. They are to come together in order to become one flesh. That was God's and that is God's original and perfect design. And and then what it says in verses 24 and 25 where it says that's the reason a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and 
they become one flesh, but the man and his wife were naked and not ashamed. The union of the marriage, according to God, is to be one of unity, exclusivity, intimacy, and transparency. God created us deliberately. He deliberately created us male and female. He deliberately created us male and female in order that we could become family. Now, if I were to say the names of certain artists, you're going to know these artists by what it is they created. So if you think about Michelangelo, what do you think about? You think about the Sistine Chapel. If you think about Beethoven, you think about the Fifth Symphony. If you think about George Lucas, you think about Star Wars. Each masterpiece reveals something of its creator, and that is certainly true about God. We capture a glimpse of the artist himself whenever we look at what the Bible has to say about what God has created. God spoke galaxies into existence. God formed mountains. God filled oceans. God planted forests with their magnificent range of color and variety. His playful side created things like the ostrich and the duckbill platypus. Go figure. But the masterpiece that reveals more of God than anything else he has created is male and female that he intended to be family. That is where God's masterpiece is revealed. So where are we going? God is for your family. He is the one who instituted it. And God is for your family because he intends the family to mirror him. He intends the family to mirror him. It says in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. Let's make man in our image according to our likeness. Throughout the previous creation account, if you were to read verses 20 through verse 24, it says the creating of each creature was according to its kind. So fish created according to their kind, birds created according to their kind, land animals created according to their kind. But in the account of the human, it is specified that man and woman, male and female, are created in God's image, not merely according to our kind. What does that mean? It means that as a human being, you are not simply like the human beings who were your parents. It means that you share the likeness of your creator God. Now, if you have ever struggled with whether or not you matter, if you've ever struggled with whether or not you have value or you have dignity, if you have listened to the voice of people in your life who have put you down, who've said you're never going to amount to much, that you are a loser, that you are damaged goods, I would simply say, stop believing the lie and start believing the truth. You were created in the very image and likeness of God himself. And that is something to celebrate. 
That is something to celebrate. To be created in the image of God, the imagio Dei, means that our personality, our nature, and our capacity to make moral decisions is a reflection of the very character of God. In the time of Abraham, this is what kings would do in the Near East. They would place statues of themselves at the borders of the territory that they oversaw that demonstrated, I have sovereign reign over this area, and the statue in that area was to represent their authority. There is a sense in which you and I are the statues. We are the living statues. We are the living representatives of the domain of God. He has created us as his representatives in this world. He made the institution of the family made up of, a, of individuals, male and female, who were to be fruitful and have magnificent offspring. And so when God says, let us make man, because God is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit, I love how Tony Evans puts it, these three individual persons that make up the one unified reality, the Godhead, the triune God, he says, let us make man. So when God creates humans, he creates them like him, male and female and offspring, the three make one family. What God wanted to do was to create a Trinitarian expression in history of his Trinitarian reality in heaven. And so he created us to be in his image. An image, if you will, is, is like a mirror. He created humankind, body, soul, and spirit to mirror him. And then he created the family unit, father, mother, offspring, to mirror him. We are to show in this visible in the flesh dynamic the invisible reality of God. There are two essential elements of family that represent God like nothing else in creation. The love of a husband and a wife provides a beautiful glimpse of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. And then the ups and downs of parenting provide a compelling picture of God's ongoing tenderness and patience and love towards those of us who are his children. We are for your family because God, God deliberately instituted the family. God deliberately intends the family to mirror him. And the third reality is this. We're for your family because God instructs the family to multiply and manage what he created. You go back to verse 28. It says, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God instructs the family to multiply 
human beings, male and female, have the great capacity and responsibility by virtue of being in the image of God to produce life, to multiply our own kind. If we are to imitate God, then creating life is a basic part of the task. It's just a basic part. A man and a woman, through the miracle of conception, and that baby grows in the mother's womb and then is born into this world of light, a man and a woman used by God to produce a living soul. That privilege is a part of the blessing of God as well as God's instruction, multiply. Alan Ross wrote a book called Creation and Blessing. He made this statement, for believers, childbirth is an act of worship, a sharing in the work of God, the one who created life. I don't know that I've ever thought about it like that before, that giving birth to a child, the act of consummating a relationship, and there is a child that is created, and the giving birth to that child is a beautiful act of worship. God instructs the family to multiply, and God says to the family, I want you to manage what I've created. He says, multiply and then rule. Rule. That defines our unique responsibility in creation. God didn't say that to anything else that he created. He said it specifically to us. Human beings are to represent God in creation. We are to manage what God has created as if God himself were creating it or, or managing it. We are to represent him, and this is how God would manage what he has created. That's what we do. We look at it. It separates us from the rest of the living creation, and it defines our relationship as above the rest of creation. Everything is created by God. Everything is owned by God. Everything is sustained by God. He's given us the awesome privilege and responsibility to manage what belongs to him. No other created species has been given this responsibility. And God says, I want you to do this in my place. Now, when you consider, when you consider this instruction and this blessing to multiply and manage what God has created as if God were multiplying and managing it himself, that can feel overwhelming. And it can especially feel overwhelming when you think about uh, the shape our world is in right now. We've got a worldwide pandemic that is still raging. There are natural disasters. There is, there is the burning of forests in Greece and in our country, in China and other places. There are wars. There are the threats of wars. There's the increased secularization of society. There's the pornification of the internet like never before. 
There's the propagation of gender confusion on our children. There is political divisiveness. There are rising prices on everything. And when you think about, I have the responsibility and the privilege to not only bring life into this world, but to try and live for God as a family in the midst of this world, this can seem overwhelming. And in the midst of all of that and more, it is important for us to heed the wisdom of the psalmist who says this in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he, speaking of God, gives sleep to the one he loves. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, offspring, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. What is the psalmist saying? The psalmist is saying families establish homes and centuries guard cities, but both of these activities are futile unless God is in them. A family without God will never experience all that God intended for the family to be, will never experience the spiritual bond, will it never experience the kind of flourishing that was in the mind and heart of God when he created us. A city without God in the midst of it will crumble from evil and corruption on the inside. The same is true of a country. And so the psalmist is saying this, don't make the mistake of leaving God out of your life and in particular your family. Don't make the mistake of thinking that, God, I've got this. In humility, simply say, God, I need you in the midst of my life. How do we get God in the midst of it? We simply have to have an openness say, God, I am open to you working in my life. Why do we read scripture? Because we need wisdom to live our lives. We need wisdom for our families. Why do we pray? It's because we need the power of God. Why do we depend on the Holy Spirit? Because we need the, we need the infusion of God's indwelling presence in us. Why do we depend on the church? Because we can't do all this by ourselves. Unless the Lord builds your home, unless the Lord builds your family, it's going to be futile. Make God your highest priority and let him do the building. Let him do the building. Let me draw this to a close. Jesus spoke of another family, a family outside of the husband and wife and child relationship. He spoke about being part of his family. And to be a part of the family of Jesus requires faith. It requires taking a step of faith to know him and then taking the step of faith to grow in love with him and to grow serving him and to grow in sharing him. And it all begins by you being born into his family, by being born again through trust in Christ. Jesus put it this way in Matthew. He says, it says, while he was still speaking with the crowds, his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, 
Your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to the one who was speaking to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So my question for you is, are you part of God's family? Are you a brother? Are you a sister to Jesus? And the way that you become a part of Jesus' family is by taking that step of faith. And we say it goes like this. You have to admit that you need Christ and that in and of yourself, you're outside of the family of God. You can't work yourself into the family. It is an act of grace. And so you admit, Jesus, I am broken. I'm outside the family. I can't make myself good enough to get in. You believe, second of all, that Jesus is the door into the family, that Jesus is the way into life with God, that God, God took Jesus' offering of his life on the cross as a payment for your sins. And because Jesus was raised from the dead, you can be raised to have life with God. If you're willing to believe that, and if you're willing to call on him in prayer, the Bible says you'll enter in. You'll be a part of the family. You'll be saved. You'll be made brand new. And I encourage you, if you've not done so, to do that today. And as you do that, why don't you let us know online, or why don't you talk to one of the pastors in the chapel, or come back in the back and talk to one of us in the Welcome Center here at the back of the building. And if you know Christ, my encouragement is simply this. I want you to know that God is for you. And if God is for your family, make it a priority to let him be the one that is building your family. Let's pray. God, in uh, your magnificent creativity, you created us to be not only connected with one another, but to be connected with you. Relationships, and you invite us into a relationship with you that we never could have ever imagined. And my prayer today is that we'll be individuals who step across the line of faith and say, that's what I want. It is time for me to begin to follow Jesus and to do his will, which is to come to God. And then God, I thank you for uh, our families. I thank you that you created us to, to multiply, to manage. You created us to be a mirror Thank you that you are the one that instituted the family and what you are for, God, we want to be for as well. Would you strengthen us as individuals to fight for our families? Would you strengthen us as a church to uphold and strengthen the families in a way that you would be pleased? And I pray this in the name of Jesus and everybody said with me together, amen.